0: Hello, BSP fans. This is Zoe Church, and you're listening to episode 15 of the Black Swamp Podcast. This is Eva Church. BSP headquarters remains shut down, so this is the second episode produced from the Black Swamp Home Studio, a.k.a. our basement. This is Nicole. Tim's handling all production responsibilities again as Jamel and Nathan are out hunting for hand sanitizer or building couch boards or something. Either way, they hope to be back to work together when
1: it's safe and appropriate.
0: As a reminder, we've canceled the 2020 Percussion Ensemble Showcase and replaced it with a snare drum solo competition for both U.S. high school and college percussionists. Entry deadline is April 30th, and full details can be found on our website.
1: I totally forgot last time, so I'll make sure to throw the link in our show notes. Again, we thought this would be a great opportunity to keep students motivated and practicing during their mandatory time off. Dan Smithger, Josh Jones, Julie Licata, and Jim Campbell are judging with almost 20 entries already received. So uh, this next conversation is with Doug Perkins, and it was actually recorded several months ago, uh, right before PASIC 2019. Uh, in November, actually. Since that time, Doug has assumed teaching responsibilities at the University of Michigan. Uh, We don't touch on that, but we certainly unpack the last 20 years or so of his musical career. Uh, It's always a pleasure talking to Doug. He's fun, uh, super down to earth, and has a ton of knowledge to share. So here we go. Hey, Doug.
0: Hi, Tim. How's it going?
1: Good, (laughs) how are you? Uh, I appreciate you calling in um, and having a chat with me Really, the main reason I want to have a conversation is so you can air all your grievances And dish as much as you want about Todd Meehan So you have uh, (laughs) 45 minutes to an hour (laughs) Go ahead, you have the floor Nice No, I'm just kidding (laughs) Uh, I, I had a chance to talk to Doug a uh, couple many many months ago, so it's cool that you you just you just
0: called him Doug, so that already makes me happy.
1: Oh gosh, which <laughs> are not uh, the first okay. nor the last. Da, da, <laughs> well, it's because I like you better, so everyone Thank is you. Doug that's to me. That's right. That's really. right. No, I t- I, t- I talked to Todd. Todd uh, yes. Uh, 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 several months ago, so. Yeah, it'll be nice to get your side of the story on everything we spoke about. Um, but no, I'm just joking. I don't really care. Um, so, okay, really the main reason I want to call it is um, to get your story as a percussionist. Like, obviously Great. how you got started and um, kind of the path that you've taken to get to where you are now. Um some things that you have going on, some, uh, anything you might be starting in the future. So uh, let's start at the very beginning. Uh, where are you from, Doug?
0: I'm originally from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and technic- even more technically oh, okay. McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania, which is just like uh, in Pittsburgh, the, there's the three rivers. So the Allegheny and Monongahela sure. make the Ohio. And then if you go down the Ohio River, like, Three miles. There's a place called McKee's Rocks, and that's where I'm from. There's um, okay. too much information. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, no. There's never too much information. Um, that's great. And uh, and you got interested in percussion. How did you have a musical family? Um, you, were, you were forced to join band in fifth grade, or kind of? Um, how did that? Spark. Yeah,
0: so my family isn't... Well, my immediate family is not musical. My dad is... Um, I describe my dad as a tone-deaf football fan. Um, <laughs> he literally, to this date, I've heard him match a pitch, I think, once in his 81 years of life. Um, yeah, but it was
1: by accident, maybe?
0: I think it was, actually. Um, <laughs> but he... Uh, I think, distant in the family, there might be some a concert pianist on the Perkins side, but then on the Fife side... I have an uncle who was a professional bagpiper for a while, um, so know. there's we, there's random music in my family. Um, but I started in fifth grade as a saxophone player, um, and my memory of it is that I was so bad that my mom, after a year, asked me to quit the saxophone. Like, <laughs> I remember practicing right. in my room, and she kind of came in and was like. Sat next to me on the bed and asked if there's any other instruments I might want to play.
1: <laughs> you she had to have a real heart to heart about the saxophone.
0: Yeah, she was just tired of hearing it. She was just like, I don't. the squeaking <laughs> is not working out. I don't want to pay for this saxophone right. rental anymore. Um, okay. So that bailed, and then you know I played, I played the drums in school, but I kind of I got into it, but kind of on the rock side a little bit first, and then even had kind oh, okay. of a funny moment where. There's a percussionist who some people who play back black swamp percussionists would know. Uh this guy Brett Dietz, uh who's in Louisiana now. Yep. He went to my high school. But Brett was a he was oh. four years older than me. Um so if I wanted to play in jazz band, but since Brett clearly was gonna keep the drum chair, I had to learn how to play the bass. <laughs> um so I right. learned how to play bass and guitar for a while.
1: Um but then well, as then I got be interested. Happy to hear that. Who would be happy to hear that? Uh, Jamel. He's a bass player. Oh, nice. He's he's one of the great...
0: Him, uh, Joe Gramley, (laughs) also, in the Black Swamp family, shares a love of the bass. Yeah, Uh, cool. um, But then kind of as one... Then randomly, so when I was at school, I was kind of... Our school had sort of this, like, fine arts program for gifted people in, in school. And I, I auditioned into that. And then one random day, um, this percussionist who plays in the ballet um, and opera and plays all over Pittsburgh, this guy, Jack Dianney, came to our school to do a master class. And since it was a snow, right. there was like snowing, so I was the only person that showed up. And so I got this like three hour, I actually got a th- like a three hour tambourine lesson from him. Wow, It was super intense. Um, and then at the yeah. end of it, he kind of just looked at me and he said, "You're my student now. Go tell your parents that you study with me now."
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's amazing. And we know we know Jack from well Volklines. Music oh, from Volklines. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Of
0: course, you know him. You know him well yeah. through the Volkline
1: side of it. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, but yeah, Jack just kind of declared me a student. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: so then so I guess. So how I'm, long did I'm, you study with him? Uh, all the way through high school. Like from seventh okay. or eighth grade all the way through, and um, but yeah, funny. He just kind of declared himself my teacher, and um, <laughs> okay. and then then I uh, went to his house, took lessons. It was very intense and really great. But he kind of, you know, got me really interested in orchestral things. And he's an amazing timpanist, so got me into timpani. And s- like, well, right. he's just great. A lot of things got me like my, my fundamentals, like playing accessories and cymbals and how to play bass drum right in a Sousa march and how to play snare drum well um he got me kind of going down the classical the classical path I think pretty seriously
1: yeah yeah that's great I saw somewhere I'd seen that you did have a connection to him or kind of cited him as a as an influence Uh and I was very curious how that kind of came about so um yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Jack's a great guy. I mean he, he's a been a big supporter of ours through Volkvines for a long time. I know he's still uh, with the company, so yeah, it's cool to hear.
0: yeah, he's, he's the president now, and actually he brought me yeah. he bought me my first uh, black swamp item or gave it to me, probably. Oh, really? he gave me he gave me a tambourine when I graduated as a like a belated high school graduation gift.
1: So it's oh, awesome. You still, yeah. You still have it, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere back there, unless Todd Meehan like put a hole in it or something. Um, <laughs> okay, now um, we're
1: getting started. Now <laughs> we're yeah. getting to the dirt. No, I'm just... um,
0: yeah. But so anyhow, Jack was a big, a big influence on that side. But I also uh, played in punk bands with Brett for many years as well. Um, in high school. Before. Okay,
1: so you were pl- you were playing bass with Brett then in playing, ba- yeah, in punk sure. bands, had... rock bands, yeah
0: yeah, yeah. That was that was definitely a thing that happened for a while
1: you still play bass guitar or could <laughs> you <laughs>
0: uh, um, spiritually I, I answer yes I don't know if I can actually play very well yeah. but you know I still identify uh, as, as we well got player. the job
1: done I guess yeah and you you still connect with Brett at all
0: uh, it's funny we had off and on but just randomly in the last couple of weeks we've been emailing. Um, you know, as as we all have friends from high school, it's like we'll go years without speaking yeah. but then. But actually this week we have spoken. So
1: all right. Yeah. Do you see him at PASIC ever? Does he I don't know if he attends or not or I
0: I, I would assume so. I, I have. So yeah. we'll we'll have to see. Yeah. I'll look for him on the floor in a couple of weeks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Cool. So you're, you're playing percussion in high school, studying with Jack Annie And then, um, I do know you got your undergrad at Cincinnati. So, uh, uh, cause was Jack kind of influential there? Did, did he, was he making suggestions or did you <laughs> kind of search that, that out on your own?
0: Uh, that's a good question. I think I searched that one out on my own. He knew, he knew my teacher, Jim Cully. And I know that when I kind of Came to the idea, he was really supportive and was a fan of, of Jim from hanging out with him at PASIC, I think. Um, sure. And I, it's funny with Jack, well, I think he was, he was super supportive. Um, he, pu- he pushed me very hard, but I also remember like the day I told him I wanted to go into music, he just started laughing. <laughs> but I think like, he just <laughs> lived through getting Brett through school and some other t- students, so I remember him right. laughing a lot, but then also being very supportive. Um, and it's funny, you know, I went to school in the, the pre-internet era. Um, right. so did I. So, so I was looking at a number of schools, but even since Cincinnati had a really good picture in percussive notes <laughs> one time.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: And so I can remember being like 14 and seeing a picture of this room full of crazy drums and gongs and stuff. And I knew I wanted right. to see that room. Um, yeah. And then I had family in Dayton. Uh, my, my godfather was the, uni- uh, he was one of the, like a vice president of development or something for Dayton and he'd arranged a okay. tour for me. Like one time we went to Dayton and then we went to Cincinnati for the day and I got to meet the guys and I got yeah. to see all the cool drums there. And then kind of once I was there, one, the city felt enough like Pittsburgh that I felt comfortable being there. Sure. Just being away from yep. home there. But then also like, there was this room f- full of mystery and excitement, and I wanted to be there.
1: <laughs> yeah, So you yeah, we were d- g- sort of gravitated towards it. Uh, no, I think that's a good point, that uh, Cincinnati felt like Pittsburgh, because I think that's pretty important. Many of the people I've been talking to is that kind of does come into play when they're choosing an undergrad degree, like where it is, you know, obviously who you're studying with and... And how nice the picture looks in percussive notes, but um uh you know, well does it you know, they're moving away from home. You move you moved away. So are you gonna be comfortable there and and feel like you kind of fit in? So sounds like obviously you did.
0: Yeah. It was just a little further down the Ohio River. So
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my mainly studying with Jim there or did you? Uh, yeah, to- Jim. Jim
0: was my Jim was my guy. I worked in percussion ensemble with everybody and took some lessons with Rusty and with Al. But uh, Jim, right? You sort of have a primary person, and that that felt right. So, so yeah. I, I spent all four so did years the,
1: with him. Did the uh, picture then live up to its hype?
0: <laughs> I think so. Although it was, it's funny yeah. when I think about my time at Cincinnati. One look, you know, now with. 20, 21 years of hindsight um, having been away from there it makes I got so much from Cincinnati but it was right. so funny when I was there because I was af- after coming out of my Jack DeAnne training and really this kind of you know kind of an um, like an old school like we're going to play ba- you know like we're going to play bass drum and cymbals really well and be, do orchestral things then to go study with this right. percussion trio like that played weird music all the time I thought what my teachers yeah. did was really weird and seeing them go on their, <laughs> their percussion group tours seemed like I was super not into it. I was like, why do they do this? This seems dumb. Like I remember being yeah. aggressively <laughs> confused by their careers. Um, but it's, aggressively so it's,
1: confused. That's good.
0: But so it's so funny to then, you know, like the second I got away from there started playing uh, percussion chamber music all the time and made a whole life in it. So kind of, just really funny the way, where some of the, some of the Cincinnati ness and being like, oh, these guys are weirdos, to then being like, no, they're really yeah. cool, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make a life yeah. that looks similar to that.
1: Yeah, I didn't I didn't really think of it at first, but I mean, yeah, totally going from Jack more traditional, uh, like orchestral playing, kind of basics and fundamentals to uh, avant garde, <laughs> like new music, like stuff that's like it's a real dichotomy that would be a huge huge shift uh but you know, obviously you kind of fell into the groove there um, yeah i
0: mean and it wasn't that and it wasn't that like the, the the training was also similar like you know i think i studied with them because i knew right. they were like i knew jim and al were like mike rosen students and that seemed cool and rusty well rusty and jim both studied with um john Beck up at eastman so like you know i knew the pedigree of kind of where they were coming from seemed like what I was looking for so it just happened that in addition to learning you know all of the stuff that they knew in a more traditional sense that I learned a lot about right like just seeing my teachers play John Cage music circuses or drumming or you know meeting John Luther Adams in the hallway when I'm a sophomore those were just things that happened
1: right well we'll get to him in a little bit Yeah, yeah yeah uh <laughs> uh so then Yale for master's work like yeah. uh it, how did how did that happen
0: uh it was kind of, it's kind of interesting <coughs> i well i was i think i was the first person that bob actually accepted through an audition at Yale because he uh. it was it was fun i actually yesterday was in rotterdam um hanging out at where he used to teach. Um, he was at the Rotterdam Conservatory um, and then had come to America and brought sort of the first class of those people, people like Eduardo Leandro. Wait, 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 Davis.
1: wait, 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 wait. Hold up, hold up. Yesterday you were in Rotterdam? I was in Rotterdam. Yeah, where are you today then? I'm in Chicago today. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> I've been in, I've been yeah, in I knew for a while, but I'm back.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. I was gonna ask you about that, but I thought maybe you were still over there, and I was I was impressed that you were that you picked up the phone to talk. Um, so okay, sorry. So <laughs> no, no, Bob. <laughs> um.
0: Anyhow, so I was Bob's first, like, f- part of the first class of people that he was accepting. Um, and it's funny to say now. I mean, I I probably wouldn't have got into Yale now. <laughs> Me then. Because um, right. I was just somebody who I felt deficient in mallet playing, so I literally yeah. just wanted I wanted to expand that. And at the time, um, Freer was coming around a few times a year, mm-hmm. and that seemed really nice because of my interest in orchestral things. Um, so it it felt like a it felt like a place that was somewhat kindred in the new music side, like Cincinnati, but that there would be a strong. Um, then I, I would have access to strong orchestral things, um, which sure. which was true. Which was true. I mean, the whole and Yale was, Yale was really great. Like just being just being at Yale is amazing. Um, right. As a as a person with low SAT scores from McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania, <laughs> uh, right. getting to go to school at Yale for a couple of years was um, really a, the access to so many smart minds and so many great things was really mind blowing. And then. Um, and then, yeah, with working, you know, obviously the kind of um, music education getting from uh, from Bob through his obviously the mallet stuff and um, percussion ensemble mm-hmm. stuff, but also like, you know, the world forgets that he's that he was a timpanist for a long time um, and is a Cloyd Duff student. So like, that strong timpani um, training is a huge part of what I got there, and then. Even with Tom, uh, and then having some, some chance to work with Freer and just have him beat me up a little bit about <laughs> orchestral stuff. Enough enough. actually, it was actually really kind of wonderful. We worked for the better part of a, we kind of worked for sort of the first year and then, then the so guys came and Tom and I had to right. sort of, <laughs> he and I had a lovely dinner one night where he explained that I needed to focus with my life and then. I gently let him go, or I gently let the orchestral thing. Go. Um, <laughs> right. But he, like, but he, the things he gave me in that year, I still talk about every week with my students, and kind of the way he clarified my brain around, you know, playing, playing, um, preparing for auditions, and that kind of thing has, was invaluable.
1: Yeah. So th- there was a point then where you you kind of had to decide if you were going to pursue orchestral and or. Uh, uh, more contemporary percussion, and um, that was I don't kind of. <laughs> I, I I
0: I don't I don't know like I, I only bring it up you know Tom made it easy and that Tom cared enough to have the conversation with me, um, sure. but I think he he's he's a believer not um, incorrectly just the one time we had a conversation where he's like, you play this stuff well but you also play this other stuff and my students in Cleveland just just do the orchestra stuff all day so. Yeah. When you stop practicing your excerpts and go play, you know, John Cage, my guys are still <laughs> still playing their excerpts. So they're going to beat you, uh, but right. you sound really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> although it was, it was fine. I think similarly, actually going back to Jack, I think I've always enjoyed being a generalist. I think he always was trying to sure. get me to think specifically. Um, but I'm a, I'm a messy, messy person that likes to play lots of things. So I guess at the time I made a choice, but it was less like making a choice and more that just like my friends my friends and I were playing a lot of music together and that seemed really fun. Right. So sure. You know, it was more the kind of choice of like, you know, why you play with the kids on one side of your block for a while and then later in the year you're playing with the kids on the other side of the block. It was less like I have to make a big life choice. It was just kind of organically. Yeah.
1: Sure. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Organically, or, I mean, it's more of a transition. So when you say playing with your friends at Yale, the, it was that the start of So Percussion then?
0: Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That was when we just kind of all met in school. Me and Feeny, Tim Feeney and Todd mm-hmm. and Jason Truding were kind of playing in percussion ensemble. And then it seemed to be going really well, you know, working through some repertoire and I always like to talk right. about how that felt like being back in rock bands, kind of so, kind of like <laughs> how it felt in high school playing with my friends. It just, we were the dorkiest rock band in the world. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm sure a lot of people would be uh, love to be in, in a dorky rock band right now, either. Yeah, on either yeah, side. yeah, no, so, and it was great. It was yeah. really
0: great, but it had that vibe of just like hanging with my friends. We just happened to be playing. Yeah, you know, percussion repertoire.
1: Right. So, how did it go? For and for all the listeners out there, I mean, you were, I guess, a founding member of So Percussion. Um, how did it go from uh, what I would assume would be a, like a graduate student ensemble to more of a professional kind of performance performing group?
0: Um, or I guess sl- slowly, <laughs> very slowly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I always sure. talk about just how nice it was that we. I think while we were in school, we really enjoyed playing with each other, and we felt—it's weird to use the word safe. Like we just felt like when we were in the room working, like we knew that life felt good, and we felt like I think we felt okay about the state of state of things. And I I say that like thinking about for young performers or you know, 22-year-old, 23-year-old, 24-year-old percussionists who are leaving, about to leave school, and thinking, "Oh my God, I have nothing to do." Right. That can be that can be a soul sucking and terrifying feeling. But for us we had each oh, yeah. other. So even though, you know, we we played in school and then we knew we wanted to keep playing out of school, but even though we all had like desk jobs, you know, I worked at the Hartford Symphony in the education department. It was really nice okay. to have rehearsal every day with my friends and we had gigs to book and we had work to do. So it was kind of like Getting out of school, even though we weren't making a ton of money, having our own studio and having gigs to play and meetings to attend sort of gave our musical life focus. Um, mm-hmm. It took a few years. Um, we were we were really lucky to, in school, have had access to people like, you know, we got to play for Steve Rice for the first time in school. And then Tim Feeney mm-hmm. uh, paid for the so-called laws of nature, which is this big quartet by David Lang that was written for us. Um, right. And it's sort of like through those two composers and those projects and their mentorship, the sort of the things that kind of got us our first press and our first big tours and people that actually pay money for us to, to play places. Um, but it really <laughs> so worked, right. as I the said, like from playing from being in school to playing art galleries in town to maybe playing an art gallery in the next town to somebody's actually going to pay us in New York City to uh, I guess the first person that paid us any real money was Tom Burrett had us come to University of Texas for a week and I remember when we got that gig we were like we thought we (laughs) thought we really made it
1: (laughs) yeah and I think Uh, that was from like
0: beating up all of the PAS chapter presidents for days of percussion gigs he used to be the chapter president of Arkansas I believe but then was like, well, I'm not there, but I am going to Texas. Maybe you could come to Texas with me. And so that yeah. that was a nice a nice early friendship for us.
1: Yeah, cool. So this is a so then like a couple years after, you got your masters, um, and you guys are playing. Uh, so percussion is kind of growing. It, and then you move on to like a, a doctorate degree. Is this all around yeah. the same time, or uh, or no? Sure,
0: it's no. Yeah, it's messy. Uh, I got my doctorate in. <laughs> there was a moment. A lot of things. There were. was a moment when so percussion was just Jason and I, because. Uh, oh really? Feeney had quit first, and then Todd was sort of his wife, I think, and he were thinking about getting back to Texas. So it was kind of clear that like he had eyes on. Getting back to Texas, so um, okay, so th- there was like a split second where we were replacing people, but also kind of thinking about like maybe, you know, maybe this is a short term thing. So we, so Jason moved to New York, and I started going to school at Eastman, but um, mm. but then we hired um, Adam, and then this guy Lawson White, and things started really picking up, and um, so I was sort of in college. I s- did two years at Eastman, but simultaneously like commuting to New Haven and New York City every weekend. And finally, yeah. uh John Beck actually was the one who uh, encouraged me to drop out of school, which I thought was really nice of him. <laughs> one day I just came in yeah. and he was like he was like, why are you here? And I said, I don't know Mr. Beck. <laughs> I think I need a degree. And and yeah. he was he's kind of gave me the speech of like everybody wants to play concerts, but most people don't get to play concerts and you seem to have lots of concerts to play. So maybe you should just go do that right now. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then I <laughs> left school that, that hour actually, I like went downstairs and went, wow. Through. Um, but then, and then yeah. And then many, some years later, um, when I finally quit, so, um, I called Eduardo Leandro, who was a buddy of mine from Yale, who was teaching at Stony Brook, and asked if maybe Stony Brook would take all my credits and I could finish my doctorate there. And they mm. did. So then I was able to pretty quickly. I had basically done all my coursework and just went and played some recitals, and was able to finish up my doctorate at Stony Brook after I left. So wow.
1: Um, and so what? What year was that then? I'm just trying to get the kind of. I feel like it was like time 2000. And I, and
0: Two thousand seven? Two thousand six, two thousand seven? Okay. That's when that all went down.
1: Uh sure. Um so Todd had moved to back to Texas and then yeah, how did you guys stay in contact or decide that the two of you wanted to maintain like a not only friendship but like a a, a performance friendship? relationship, I guess. <laughs> yeah, musical friendship. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, that was just, um, I mean, we'd been in touch, you know, he, um, there was no, the friendship didn't suffer when he left. So, um, so we, we had stayed really close and stayed in touch. And then I remember just walking around one day on one of the first days that I was kind of out of the group and not, I had nothing to do. So I remember walking, I was Mm -hmm. in New York city at Gramercy park is this little park, uh, sort of just north of the village. Um, and I think we were just kind of talking and like, well, I don't have anything to do. Well, I don't have anything to do. Well, we should play. We (laughs) should, yeah, we should play again. We could play again. Uh, Would you want to, and then just kind of like, it was as, as quick and just weird. It, It was a very quick conversation. Um, yeah. And then, then we just started playing together. Um which has been which was really it was it was really great and just kind of like Yeah. Um but an easy an easy and an organic decision. Um Yeah. And remains so nice. Like we we just played in Lithuania played in Lithuania last week, two weeks ago. Um okay. Yeah. And you know, just when you realize as we all get older, Tim, you know, that I've known <laughs> Todd for <laughs> Going on 25 years now, and have played yeah. intense music with him for just about as long. Um, just right. so, so so nice to have a friend like that.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, it okay. So everything everything you're saying is is lining up with uh, Todd's account. Just so <laughs> uh, to put your mind put your mind at ease. No. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that was kind of a big part of even his his take on it, is like you had a, sort of a musical bond and it was kind of a seamless transition. And even though you, he was in Texas and you were on the other side of the country, um, like you were still able to keep this connection. And then when you got together, it was like, you know, no time or musical space had passed, which I always find about your, that duo. And it's maybe it was common then, but it's definitely more common now where, People play together, but they they live states apart. Like, and I always found that interesting about you guys is that you could kind of have your own thing, and then come together and play a concert, rehearse for a week or a day or whatever. So, was that a challenge at the beginning? Um,
0: yeah, I think for us or for for me, the biggest challenge is just that we we learn music more slowly than. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when you're like somebody like so who's just rehearsing all the time, or even um, thinking about other duos, like how uh, like Gene, uh, like the Quay duo, they're Black Swampers, aren't they?
1: Um, Gene, and, Gene, Gene, Gene and Tim Schindel. Yeah. Mm, are, they,
0: are they on the family? No. They're not on the family. Yeah. All right. Well, never mind. <laughs> they're not.
1: Not currently. <laughs> okay. I, we'll, we'll edit I'll that out the post. Yeah.
0: Well, um, <laughs> they like they. It's some fun because they live in the same town so they're they're able to like work on stuff all the time um sure uh for us we just have to be cool with the fact that it takes it takes us time but um once we know things having i think having known each other for years and years and years but then also um that we played in like with our so training that we rehearsed for hours and hours a day, every day for years, for like right. four years or something, um, that we just have this, there's like just a technique that is buried into us. So it's not like I'm meeting somebody for the first time and trying to work out a, a vocabulary for how to make music. Like I know exactly what Todd's tendencies are and what he's going to want to do in that right phrase. So, um, right. yeah, so that's all like super duper comfortable, but it just the only difference is we mm-hmm. can't, we can only learn so much music in a, in a given year. Right. Um, but that's also kind of lovely, I think, for us, the way the group has sort of grown. You know, it has seen us have kids. It has seen us go through career shifts and location shifts. Mm-hmm. And, like, so sometimes we're really active. Sometimes we've been less active. But kind of, um, you know, because it's this, like, Unlike so, where every day you go in and you're trying to, you know, since it's not a full time job, it's it is it is more of a loving act right. to play music with Todd. But there's, um, yep. but then there's no reason for us to not play music together. Like we love and respect sure. each other, so sometimes we do more right. or less. But it's just like this nice, this really kind of wonderful con- constant in our lives. Um, yep. No, and funny. No, that's. Like the, um, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. And to see how it's transformed from, like, as younger players, can we make a body of repertoire? Can we make it be meaningful to, like, going back to our show in Lithuania two weeks ago, he brought his whole family and, you know, to, to be halfway around the world and, like, staying That's up right. all night, eating dinner with his kids who are now old enough to sit through our <laughs> concerts and have fun conversations over a late <laughs> dinner. It's like, right. it's, you know, what a, what a gift to, to share these life things with somebody.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, that's basically what our conversation was with him before is like how special it is to be able to, to get together with like, you know, your best friend and, and do this. Um, and you're right, you you don't necessarily have to, but why, why not? <laughs> like you, you're able to, so that's what makes it special.
0: Yeah, um, it's really, it's really pretty great. I feel bad that he has to do it with me.
1: Um, <laughs> 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 yeah, he he mentioned that too. Yeah, actually. Yeah. So yeah, all the truths are coming out now. Finally. Yeah, uh, no, it's... Um. So, what I don't, we don't need to. I. Another thing I wanted to get at was. Uh. You kind of touched on a lot of your travels and and. Um, you have been and taught a several different places, like a lot on the East coast, uh, is Chicago. I don't know if you're still based in Chicago cause now you're, you know, it's not a surprise you're teaching at U of M, uh, university uh-huh. of Michigan. So, uh, I mean, we don't have to kind of trace through all of that, but I mean, do you spill, still still kind of spend time on the East coast or are you based in Chicago now or <laughs> um, I, I, how does that in, kind of work?
0: Uh, it's messy. My life's messy. But it's fun. (laughs) Um,
1: That that seems to be a trend.
0: Uh, But that's cool. I I had lived, like, yeah, for the last bunch of years. Well, like, in the so times, I was living in New York City, which was cool. And then I was teaching at Dartmouth and moved up to uh, Concord, New Hampshire, um, which was lovely, but um, smaller town life. And um, at some point... uh, I, I think we felt like we wanted to be back in a city um, and then very, in a very wonderful way that a period of we, time.
1: So When you say what? we, were you married? When you say we, I was were you Yes, we, that's my married? wife. My okay. wife is
0: the we uh, and my son right. at that time. Um,
1: okay.
0: We were thinking about options and um, kind of very generously through some conversations with um, Matthew Duvall from 8th Blackbird, he sort of set it up right. so that I could be in residence at University of Chicago with the Blackbirds and then uh, I was able to tour with them for a couple of years. So that that felt like enough right. of an impetus to move us to Chicago. Um, okay. It was really funny. He and I were driving down Lakeshore Drive and he's like, you should move here. And I said, I need a job. <laughs> I can't just tell my wife I wanna do it for just fun. He's like, well, I don't wanna do this University of Chicago, so just do that. That's a start, you do that now. And then um, right. and that was enough that my wife was like, okay, we can, we'll do it. Um, yeah. So what does your wife then do then? She's a f- she's a doctor, so she does family medicine okay. and uh, sometimes delivers babies. And she's also on the residency faculty of University of Chicago. Oh, okay.
1: Um, right. And, and and to sorry to sorry to back up a second. How do you know uh, Duvall then, Matthew?
0: Oh, uh, Matthew and the birds uh, from Cincinnati. Actually, they they came. Oh, okay. They were my last year at Cincinnati, they were in school at the same time. So um more reasons that like my new music community was flourishing in my undergrad. Because, yeah, it's like so right. much of my life comes out of like you know, meeting them and people like them in Cincinnati and then meeting the So Boys and the Bangin' a Can people at Yale yeah. and my friends at Signal and so many other people at Eastman. It's just you know, these these uh your your time in schools does Often set you up for where you're going in your life. Um, oh, yeah, musical anyhow, so
1: connections. Yeah.
0: Um, so, anyhow, so I live in Chicago still. Um, but uh, at some point, um, when Keith Aleo went to Interlaken, um, I was asked right. to start teaching at Boston Conservatory. Uh, so, I do teach, I did and do teach at Boston Conservatory, and just I fly out there from from here every every week or two. Um, and okay. then, as you say, this year is particularly nutty because um, uh-huh. uh, Michigan asked me to teach there this year. So I right. was in Holland yesterday, Chicago today, Ann Arbor <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jeez. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, but it kind of seems like that's, like you said, your life's been messy, which isn't a bad thing because there's you it's just really constantly wonderful. have a lot, yeah, it sounds like it, I mean, you wouldn't do it if if it wasn't, obviously, um, um so congratulations, <laughs> yeah, I don't thanks. know if, yeah. I mean, I think it takes a a special person to kind of do that, but then, like you're making it happen, so I think it's cool,
0: yeah, there's and I think in some of our emails you were asking me about like what um sort of what motivates you to do things, um yeah. And I think some of it is just general gratitude of like, how great is it that I get to do what I do? Um, But then also I remember going back to Jim Cully, my teacher, I remember once he talked to me about um, how once he was a dad, he'd kind of life. Once he was a dad, he always talked about being a dad that you turn into a second class citizen and how, (laughs) <laughs> your, your like primary thing is to raise a child and to make your family work and to make that good. Um, right. and so for me, that was, I think, very true And that once, once I was raising my kid, like the idea of failing at a concert or like fail, musical failure worried a lot less to me. Um, sure. But then I was super liberating. Also being married to a doctor who, for her, like sometimes people die. When she's at the office, like she has patients that die, and she has to carry that feeling with her, you know, even if she does her best, you can't and did all the right things, you can't help but wonder if there's something you could have done different to change that person's life or keep, you know. Um, I don't. I'm not. um, I have none of those concerns. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Let's go hit stuff. And then, like, you know, if it goes well or not, I can still put on Facebook what a great show it was and everyone will believe it. And the song arrives the next day. Right. Kind of fine. So, like,
1: um, well, sorry. Just to move move back for a second, sorry. Uh, I mean, I I, I think that totally puts it in perspective. Like, uh, my wife works for Gordon Food Service, which is like a food uh, industry provider uh-huh. and so, you know, whatever. And well, she used to work with a lady there that, you know, when they would get stressed out about something or they would have deadlines or this, she'd be like, relax everybody. You know, we're, we're not saving lives. We're selling fries here. Like it kind of, <laughs> right. it kind of reminds me of, you know, the same thing. Like you, you know, what, obviously what you're doing is important, but it's cool to have some perspective in that sense. But, uh, sorry, sidetrack. Side no, note. That's great.
0: I, no, I, 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 so I think for me, like also, so when I have to get on a plane or I have to drive to Ann Arbor tomorrow, like I just get to talk to like for teaching, I get to talk to like some of the most talented kids playing our instruments. Sure. And right. then, so it's like, I'll get up early to go do that. And that's, that's great. And similar. And then if I want to like play crazy music or, you know, like go do a concert in a lake or I was Touring just the last three weeks, I was touring as a conductor in Europe, uh, conducting this violin project. Because um, no one's going to mm-hmm. die, so I'm just having a great time taking chances and <laughs> making things more messy, um, right? And and doing well because no one's going to die. And also with the violinists, yeah. somebody would have said, "You don't know as much about the violin as you should." I would have said, "You're right. <laughs> I'm a percussionist. You got me." <laughs> yeah.
1: right (laughs) Uh, is this something you do talk to your students about like perspective or not kind of not being scared to be messy
0: um i think i try i try to i think that is i try to i want them to all at once um i think you know super or because of that like we're all lucky enough i've said this a lot i think i've said it recently in michigan a bunch of like we're here, we're lucky enough that we get to be in these great facilities making music all right. day, so we should really yeah. do it well. We should work yeah. really hard, and then we should treat every decision in our in our solo repertoire or with our technique. It should all be life or death. We should really work it hard, but then we also I do talk about that in the way of like, but let's not get overly nervous or freak out because like, you're hitting a snare drum, so <laughs> if we can work through the
1: like hopefully you know hopefully the uh the the best uh manufacturer syndrome uh, never yeah mind. Keep but going. at this well, at the end of life begin.
0: yeah but like kg is like not that hard it's kind of a silly little bunch of eighth notes and 16th notes so like let's you know right. like work really hard but like don't like you know need to like freak out or lose weight and stop eating over it cuz like <laughs> It's just let's right. like and if and if you can have fun and work really hard, but just like sort of keep all of that heady life or death in a bad way, stress thing out of it, you know, maybe you'll be right. more successful than other people.
1: Sure. Um so going back in time, you mentioned John Luther Adams and getting to meet him um in Cincinnati. Uh huh. And I don't know if people, if listeners know or don't know, but you have been heavily involved in multiple performances of, Inex Suite, Inixuit, uh, however, how do you say, pronounce that correctly? Inex Suite. I go Inuxuit, but okay, but you know, uh, whatever. And so, can you can, <laughs> whatever? I don't um, know how to say Todd Todd's last you, name.
0: Is it Mihan? Is it Mian? <laughs> I don't. know. I'm literally not sure. I
1: say I. I <laughs> <laughs> well your last name's Perkins, so that's just like that's the easier. restaurant, so that's how I remember yeah. <laughs> that's how I remember that. Uh, um how you know how did you get involved in in kind of organizing those performances and kind of that? Um So that's a funny story.
0: Um when I I hope I hope it's messy. <laughs> it's it's messy, or it's it's not what you'd expect. I don't think, um, <laughs> okay. in that. Uh, so after I quit, so I'd moved to New Hampshire and was teaching at Dartmouth. When I was teaching at Dartmouth, my friend Rob Essler, who's a great percussioner in Phoenix, percussionist in Phoenix right now. He was at San Diego doing uh, his doctorate and was researching um, how a piece might sound different in different acoustic spaces. And it was doing that mm-hmm. through this piece, Strange and Sacred Noise of John's, this big quartet that's like an evening-length bombastic thing, which is when I met him, it was premiered with Cincinnati back in the day, and I was at the premiere of that piece. It was pretty It was a DNA-altering day the day I heard that premiere. Um, sure. but, but Rob had done the piece in a hall at UCSD. They did it in the desert out in California. But then Rob wanted to do it in New Hampshire in his, I think the way to say it is, Rob wanted to come to New Hampshire to play Strange and Sacred Noise in his mom's boyfriend's backyard, which (laughs) was near Dartmouth. So I helped kind of arrange um, for, for Rob and his wife Lisa and Steve Schick to come out and play it with me and John came up and we rehearsed at Dartmouth and then played this concert in Rob's mom's boyfriend's backyard. (laughs) <laughs> and and then, yeah, it's messy. It's messy, <laughs> and it was really great. It's just like you never know what you're gonna say yes to that's gonna change your life. But like, I went to this guy's backyard, and some people flew in, and we played. Uh, James Tenney had died that week, so we also played "Having Never Written a Note for Percussion" back there. And then we did what percussionists do, which is to go eat pizza and drink beer after this concert. Sure, in this Rob's mom's boyfriend's backyard we drank beer and then we talked trash about playing. Uh, we were like, man, we should go to the go to Alaska and do this again, man. John, you should have us up to Alaska. And then he, he yeah. was like, oh, I could arrange that, no problem. And then we kind of just, nobody backed down. So a year later we ended up in the tundra <laughs>
1: in Alaska. Right.
0: Um, this time it was, it was that, those four plus um, Morris Poulter also joined us on that. Oh, um, okay. And we rehearsed at Fairbanks where Morris was, and then we, we loaded up the gear, drove it till the, the road ended. We were at, near Denali in the Alaska Range, uh, and then we were met by ATVs. And we ATV'd gear right. further out until the ATV thing ended, and then we walked the gear even further. And then we played Strange and Sacred Noise for two days. Uh, for the, for the moose of Alaska. Uh, and I think we kind of thought we were just going to go camping, and it'd rain, and we'd never play. But we played, and then right. uh, John's neighbor, this guy Len, came and actually videotaped it. And we set up um, recording equipment by running Pro Tools off of car batteries. Uh, and we did it on wow. the solstice when the sun never set. So there's like these cool videos of us playing in the middle of the night. Um, but whatever. And that was also a big moment for me because I just yeah. quit so and was kind of not sure if I wanted to do this weird music anymore. But when I had the sure. realization of like, oh, I just flew to the edge of the world to play snare drums for Moose to hear what it might sound like. <laughs> it was kind <laughs> of a, it was a really nice rebirth of like, no, I do love this stuff. This is what I need to be doing. Um, right. But so anyhow, we went out there. A stranger Sacred Noise sounds kind of lame on the side of a mountain. It sounds awesome in a concert hall, but the sound floats away. And then John, I think, yeah. kind of got the idea to um, write his outdoor piece, um, which Steve premiered at Banff. And then um, Omar Carmenartes, Carmenartes, Karmen, mm-hmm. is that how you say
1: it? Furman? Mm-hmm. His I his last I don't name, Crementes. <laughs> Shit.
0: Okay, we can cut that part out if you cut but th- anything out. Yeah, but, yeah, hey, we'll I'll, edit uh, that in post. Don't the, worry. It was from. It was also played. At, um the piece was also played. At Furman um, but when right after we got back I started getting random phone calls from people in New York who were like I heard you did this Tundra thing um, and then that's what somebody asked me then to do this big concert of synocus in, in Central Park Lake uh, where we built yeah. stages in the lake and it was got kind of a lot of attention and then also uh, through my relationship with Todd and Tom Burrett we we thought about doing at the Round Top Festival in Texas because I had the idea that um, if you wanted to get 99 percussionists anywhere, like Texas right. is probably the place since drummers are right. on trees in Texas. So we were able to <laughs> use <like>, uh, our <laughs> right. players. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of that was the p- first time it was ever done with the full 99 players. Um, and once we'd proved concept, and then also after I had kind of done this thing in um, Central Park with. Zanakis. that then I was asked to do it at the Park Avenue Armory in New York City for a big show. And then that got a lot of attention. And then we did it in Harlem at um, Morningside Park. So then kind of, I quickly got a few high profile performances of the piece and then kind of from there it sort of took off in a way that I didn't expect. And people like then the last, you know, however many years have been, getting to go all, right. all, all over the world doing that. Um, and then John also wrote another piece called SELA for kind of mixed instrumentation um, that we did at Lincoln Center two years after that, I guess. Um, so it is kind of, again, in a surprising and messy way, playing a concert yeah. in my friend's mom's boyfriend's backyard has sort of <laughs> altered, altered my whole career to where actually, because yeah. also this, like, having just toured and conducted for three weeks in Europe, um, is comes from this crazy project that was commissioned uh and then premiered it by the by, at the Red Bull Festival last year. Um yeah. Just cuz I, I get called to do weird big projects that are super fun. Um And again, it's like I put in this guy's backyard, I'm not afraid to like have things go badly, so I say yes to these crazy projects and right. I keep having fun and it keeps keeps working out. Um which is really uh, so really yeah, I know it's kind of a fun messy thing.
1: You you have a reputation uh, <laughs> uh so so you were you were conducting that too. I know you mentioned that previously but uh, um did you have previous experience conducting or again you just weren't afraid to <laughs> screw it up.
0: Um <laughs> uh similarly um, a messy track of I think you know Yes. Um, Iun, I, or maybe it's maybe it is a Steve Schickism, uh, but I heard I Iun say at the summer of, you know, what do you call somebody, uh, somebody holding two sticks, a drummer, and then that same person <laughs> holding one stick is a conductor. Um, right. So. Good. I think, but I, but, I, but it. So I conducted, you know, I've conducted percussion ensembles and stuff, and then there was a when I lived in right. New Hampshire, um, there was a music festival there that started asking me to conduct, so I has every it feels like every year or two a couple people call me to conduct something and I say yes. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, so I've conducted at some different festivals or on, conducted my friends records or um I've conducted the new music ensemble at Boko. So I'm I'm like I'm getting there. I don't feel like a total idiot anymore. <laughs> and also from playing right. years of like in so much as that like as a percussionist we can give good cues and we have good dictuses and then if you're in chamber, you know, so much of chamber music is being a conductor, but you're just conducting in different ways. So I feel okay, yeah. and I'm getting better at it. I don't feel yeah. like a complete idiot, um, but um, but it's still, yeah, it's still hilarious every time. Like this on this tour, people <laughs> didn't can't think believe was, it. When people are just like, oh, you're the conductor. Tell me about the things you conduct because you're a conductor, and let's talk about <laughs> conducting. And I'm like,
1: ah. Uh, right. It's more complicated than that. Uh, yeah, it's messy.
0: Yeah, so it's, but it's hilarious. Like, it's, but it's so great. You only have to carry your music, and there's probably somebody there that wants to help yeah. you set up your music and you definitely <laughs> get a better dressing room. So,
1: you could probably get a page turner if you, yeah.
0: Yeah, it could get, uh, I could, yeah, it's really good. So, we could talk about when Black Swamp wants to start making batons.
1: <laughs> hey, it's come up before.
0: Uh, yeah, for yeah. me and Colin, so, and Pe- Pedro, you've got some <laughs> conductors on the on the roster. Pedro,
1: yeah, um, yeah. Pedro is uh, he's has like been legit. conducting for a long time. I, yeah, yeah. That's impressive. Um, okay, so we've covered the, your like vast uh, career so far in the music uh, percussion industry, and you know, obviously, you're crazy busy you like it that way, how, um, is there anything inside or even outside the music or percussion realm that keeps you kind of inspired? I know we talked a little bit about motivation, but in that sense too, what kind of keeps you inspired or, or motivated to kind of keep moving forward with all these projects?
0: Um, I think just like curiosity I think being yeah. being able to remain curious to wonder what could be possible or um, to sort of push myself sort of to the next out of my comfort zone I think is what what sort of keeps me motivated. Um, right. So I, um, that and like also, I think in a professional in a professional side that's definitely definitely something. So always getting new pieces or new collaborations or you know conducting violinists for example um, are motivating right. but then also like you know working with students is also just the energy the energy of young people is pretty great right you know getting I'm so so lucky right now to be teaching it to great schools where I walk through the door and there are people whose brains are on fire yeah um, and so just to get to sit back and in sort of engage those engage and hopefully motivate and keep keep people fired up and moving forward is um, I get a ton of energy from that and also when I want to be lazy and think about <laughs> how well my students play things or how quickly they're learning things um, yeah. it you know it and it, it, and I think it's so that in that way even just as a percussionist like you know I my snare drum warm-up is probably the best it's been. Uh now, just because working with students who are super motivated or as my students have sure. problems and we have to develop their technique, then it helps me develop my technique and um, so the feedback yeah. loop percussively through my students is is really um, super super motivating, I think.
1: Yeah, and you're not the first person on this podcast that I've talked to that has said the exact same thing. I mean, I think, you know, as an educator, students are can naturally be motivating, and you sort of can learn something from each other. So, yeah, a lot of the educators that I've been talking to, that's a definite source of inspiration for them. And seeing sometimes like uh, a light bulb go off um, can be um, motivating for the educator as well. So when the you know things kind of click for the student, um, it. You know, it's a, a source of energy, uh, and inspiration for the educator also. Um, if if at, not sorry, another light ca- bulb.
0: There's like two pieces that I've been working on recently that I watch my students learn. And there have been times when I was like, oh, yeah. this is, I know what they did. <laughs> Great. I'm going to do what my student <laughs> did there. That's going to work really well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, another common thread uh, going way back from in our conversation. You are also not the first person I've talked to that started off playing saxophone, which I think is super interesting. Oh. I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet, but, um, who else? Yeah. Do you, do you uh, remember who again, else played saxophone? Uh, uh just Andrea Vinay. I think Adam nice. Hopper, who I, uh, spoke to, I I think there was a couple other people too, like saxophones. And and when I even think back, uh, you know how you know when I started, like I wanted to play saxophone too. Like I don't know why. I I don't. My sister was in marching band, and she's five years older. So I would go, you know, to uh, marching band contests or whatever symphonic band and, and watch. And I was like, oh, saxophone seems pretty cool. So I don't know. I never ended up playing, but. It was an attraction, so I haven't figured that little gem out yet. So I'll get. I back don't think to that this account. is
0: why, but I, I will confess that um, the first real concert my mom ever took me to, um, yeah, was Kenny G. <laughs> we sat okay. in the orchestra pit we can for a edit- Kenny G show when I was in like fifth grade, I think, or fourth grade. We That's can fine. edit that part it. out too, if you want. I'll admit it. I'm cool with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. That would was a real would thing you say that, that Kenny G, yeah, I, I applaud you for speaking it out loud. Would you say that it's a guilty pleasure then? Do you still uh, listen to Kenny G at home no, was, alone was, with <laughs> headphones on? Uh, uh, no, I, I will listen to,
0: um, not a lot, but I would, you can still probably, I'd still admit to enjoying Enya, maybe, but, but Kenny G has Oh yeah, on, but... You know, put get the okay. get the lights just right in my studio and throw on some Enya, and I'll, I'll settle into a peaceful right. place. <laughs> and also of away. guilty pleasures, one of my favorite moments on tour in the last five years was one day I was in Greece doing a Nooksuit and met uh, my Greece counterpart, my Greek counterpart for a coffee, and then I walked him into rehearsal. And when I walked yeah. through the door of his rehearsal, we were on stage of the stage of Yanni at the Acropolis. And oh, my wow. head about exploded. I've actually stood on that stage. <laughs> yeah. My grandma yeah. used to watch that and she would always hope that I'd get to play with Yanni. And so on her deathbed, I yeah. think I lied. and was like, I'll play with him someday, Grandma. But I was on that <laughs> yeah.
1: stage. Yeah. No, that's I forget the drummer's name. Yanni's drummer. But I, I always thought he was great. And I do remember seeing, yeah, live at the Acropolis and watching that. And it's impressive. Like the whole yeah. production. Yeah,
0: and it's funny. It's just that's a place in Greece that like people just do concerts. Yeah, but sure. For, for me, I kind of
1: freaked out a little bit. Yeah. What, what else do you listen to? Like, if we um. were to turn on your your iPod, if you still have an iPod or your iPhone, uh, um, you know what a, what might be playing?
0: Um, that's a really good question. I'm trying to th- let's let's see what I've listened to lately. Um, I'm probably. You'd probably catch me listening to. Like my my standard go tos are not so, like new or crazy in that. I'm probably still listening to a lot of Paul Simon and Joni Mitchell, uh, just sure. like as my like if I'm walking down the road or uh, or I'll throw in a Wilco record or something. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of if, if I listen to anyone cool lately. I don't. Wilco's pretty cool. I mean, Wilco is is, is the greatest uh, Just like anything right. Glenn does I, I can't help but sure. Get really happy listening to him play anything um, mm-hmm. But um, Yeah, and then there my, I, I haven't been doing it much lately But my, my dirty pleasure is the Indigo Girls That there's more Indigo <laughs> okay. Girls Than you'd expect in my iPod um, right. Glenn made me listen to this There's this new Angeli Kijo record Where she does um, oh, yeah. Head stuff, it's pretty
1: dope Sure angelique kijo i sweat and indigo girls i've seen them both in like smaller venues and angelique kijo i mean i haven't listened to her a lot for in a long time i have some of her like i don't know if it's one of her first albums because um, she's west african right uh-huh I, I believe and has a lot of obviously influence and my wife and i saw her in a small theater here in Grand Rapids and it was honestly one of the best concerts I've ever been to just like the energy the drummer was amazing she had like a small band and she was great it was a lot of fun so I I didn't know anyone else actually listened to Angelique Joe, but it's cool
0: yeah like and seeing I saw the Indigo Girls play duo at Symphony Hall in um, Cincinnati it was mm-hmm. unbelievable, like, just how hard they could rock with just, like, them and their guitars. Oh, um, yeah.
1: So I'm looking at my, at my yeah. There's phone. I just listened... There's to, an outdoor... Also
0: recent, oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, there's an outdoor, like, uh, music venue here in Grand Rapids, like, in a, in, in a gardens area, and we saw Indigo Girls there, too. Yeah, they had a band, so there was, like, two of them and then a full band, and, yeah, they rocked. It was great great i i'm
0: not shy to admit that um and then it looks like of music that's not uh people with guitars um leslie flanagan is somebody i uh who i really love i was listening to her record i was on Mm. tour with her this week but um i was listening to her record hedera which if there's any cool kids still listening at
1: this point you should check her out (laughs) um, yeah they're they're the hardcore fans now the hardcore and then i was listening to nick
0: fotino's (laughs) Um, Nick Potino's okay. is the cellist of bass Blackboard and has a solo record that there's some beautiful oh, tunes. Yeah, cool. I found myself walking through Holland listening to him the other day.
1: Yeah, I've uh, I mean I've had a record player for a long time, but um, kind of uh, built a space in my basement. I guess you could call it a man cave if you wanted to. Uh, nice. well, I actually have my my drum set set up, and ex- that's where I am now sitting like awesome. a you know home office desk and have a record player and so i've been collecting albums of like people you know police albums peter gabriel like stuff that i listened to in junior high high school but then also getting into like hall and oates um nice uh you know kind of 70s um uh, rock r&b type stuff so yeah i have i've been enjoying it so my wife and i do kind of run around, and I guess you could call it antiquing. It's more kind of junky and they're going to resale or second hand places or kind of antique places. And if I just sniff out albums uh, and sort through them. So I had a good score the other uh, Last weekend I found So, not So Percussion, So by uh, Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel. Yeah. And then I found the Police's Outlanders Demore, like their, their first album, in the same uh-huh. place. So I was super geeked about that. I was like mega score, so I was excited. But and I I'll go do like uh university tours and stuff, like go travel around yeah. mostly Midwest, but you know, I always have a little bit extra time so I search out record stores or antique places and kind of look for albums, but I've been enjoying it. So Oh,
0: well, that's great. Yeah, I didn't think but, to look look for records in antique places.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, they're it's becoming more popular. Um I mean, obviously, vinyls kind of coming back, anyways. But yeah. so now all these all these vendors are like, "Oh, we have vinyl at home," and they start pulling it out. So I don't know. Usually, there's a lot of Alabama, um, you know, a lot <laughs> of air supply, <laughs> uh, a lot of country, a lot of country western. Uh, but you can find you can find some gems. But um, yeah, just a couple other questions like, um, yeah, what. If you could go back in time, Doug, uh, which, okay. which we're almost there. I can feel it. Um, if, if you could go back in time, like, what would you tell yourself? One or two things, like little tidbits, little gems of information that you could pass along to yourself. Or maybe you're passing it along to your students now from, from your experience. Um,
0: that's, a great, that's a great question. Um. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting. Well, and in contextualizing it into a how it, what I do tell my students, um, right? I think um, I think one, I would tell myself, and I do tell my students, just t- to not take themselves too seriously, or not to get too too right. high on themselves. I do think, like in Cincinnati, right. I must have been insufferable. Um, <laughs> I, I I had a. <laughs> I think I had a high sense of my value in the world, Um, Uh, but just like, I don't know. I find that
1: hard to believe, but yeah, no, you know, just like just the realization
0: of, yeah, I think I, you know, I just thought, I don't know what I thought I would be, but I thought I was pretty awesome, I think. Um, yeah. And, uh, so thanks to my parents for giving me a good (laughs) self-worth. Um, but just like, But, you know, just putting putting actually being a good citizen, good citizenship over um, pushing one's own personal agenda. Um, right. So just to remind myself, like, I think the earlier I could have learned, like, dude, just work, work hard, but get over yourself. See how you can make the world better for everybody um, would be good. And then I think also, well, it's hard to say, actually. The thing I think about a lot now is just how much, like, nobody in the world can go, can go in a lot of different ways. Like, nobody in the world really knows or cares about what any of us do <laughs> as far as in music. Like, we're such a, specif- such a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche in yep. what we do. Even my friends who win, you know, Grammys and do cool stuff. Like, it's still, yeah. like, you know, you can or it's it's funny or like thinking about something like PASIC I, I was at, my cousin is a um, uh, stand-up comedian um, so one year in Indiana oh, really? he was playing uh, there's a there was at least there was a comedy club called Crackers it's like right next to the um, convention center and so when we were sure. hanging out at Crackers everybody knew him nobody knew who I was And then we would walk a block from Crackers, and we were both anonymous. And then if we walked into the convention center, people would know who I was and have no idea who he was. (laughs) Right. So we kept just vacillating through like what the (laughs) scope of influence was and how how narrow it was. Um,
1: Right. So that just like well, and how the two over how the two kind of intersected too. That's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, but just you know like so if my students can figure out that like even you know even or like to use Boston for an example, like no one really knows who I am or Kyle or nobody knows who Nancy Zeltzman is. Nancy is very important, but like outside of our world, Nancy's just like a person and I'm a person. So, you know, just remember, Um, like, I think like if I, but also I think maybe had, had I had a sense of my own humanity earlier, I wouldn't have worked as hard. So maybe it was motivating and made me who I am. But like, um, yeah just reminding reminding myself and others like let's just get over ourselves and be good people because like we're like lo- we're really lucky to hit things we're lucky to do what we do and yeah. we should do it well but at the end of the day like it's just as important that I'm like you know a good member of my son's junior high parent community or a good member of my people yeah. on my street or that I'm good to my dog right
1: um, right it's all like no I I totally agree and the niche of the niche of a niche is something we actually talk about at Black Swamp. I mean yeah, not only are we in the you know, music manufacturing world, but it's percussion manufacturing and then it's orchestral percussion manufacturing and it's high-end orchestral percussion manufacturing. So it's definitely niche in a niche and we always kind of what I, I say is, you know, we take what we do seriously but we don't take ourselves too seriously so I think it's kind of the same vein where we have this perspective of of where we fit into the world in the music world um but still being good people and still having a sense of humor and exactly like you're saying like you know people outside of our world don't really know who we are but um we try to make a difference in where we are and what in the world we are in yeah and then if i had a dog I guess i would be nice to it too but i try to pet <laughs> but, it's also, but it's also but it's also
0: great <laughs> it's also what i love about about black swamp isn't that, um, you know like how great that you you all get to go to work and do this you get to make really cool objects for people that care a lot about them and it like elevates sure. people's musicianship it's like it's such a such a cool it's so specific, but it also really makes a difference in people's li- like. For the people who use you service, your your instruments and things make a difference in their lives in like a very real way. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. And I appreciate it's, that. And
0: it's like um, it's it, and it's and it's totally ridiculous.
1: <laughs>
0: like you know like it's like right. it's this like I was explaining to somebody the other day. I was like explaining that you know, well, my woodblock company does this and this, and they're over in in holland michigan and they're like wait wait a yeah. minute there's a whole i was like yeah it's a whole thing and you think you know like <laughs> and then wood blocks can make your life better and you know give you vacations and healthcare and can yeah. make me sound better and can make music sound better and it's like it's cool i, yeah. I love that stuff it's so great but it's like well, we should yeah just we should just didn't get too mad about it we should get like it's i always use those thoughts to go down the gratitude hole of like so isn't it amazing? It's just amazing. Let's all feel really great about this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, we're like I said, like we take what we do seriously, but we try to have a good time <laughs> and we try to try to be nice people to and we we just did a well, I say we just did, but it, it from when people are listening to this, it might be several months old now. We did a like a question and answer episode for the podcast and one of the questions was um like you know how all the employees got started and what the favorite part of working at black swamp was and all of us independently we didn't we didn't have a round table discussion about it it was all kind of spontaneous like but everybody said we love working with each other and we have like an awesome team right now we're all friends we're all percussionists for the most part, except for Jamel, who's a bass player. Um, and, uh, you know, we're musicians and we're, we're buds and we, we like hanging out and we like making percussion instruments and then hopefully, yeah, making your job easier and making percussionists, musicians sound better and kind of helping to inspire them. And, and likewise getting inspired by what you guys are doing. Um, I mean, I admit it, I live vicariously like through our artists and educators sometimes because I, you know, went to school, you know, masters and everything and was also at a point where I had to kind of decide if I uh, wanted to pursue music or, you know, this opportunity came up and I could still play and work, be around percussion instruments and work with them and kind of build a career in that. So I've been totally like blessed and gracious for that also, but... But enough about me. Uh, I appreciate the conversation, Doug. Like it's been awesome. (laughs) Like I've known you for a long time. You're like one of our first like big supporters. And I've learned like like so much about you, like you know, that I didn't know before. So I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate you calling in, taking time between between globe trotting. Um, and you know, good luck, everything you got going on. And, um, I'm just happy to, happy to know you and get to work with you. So thank you.
0: All right. Thanks, man. I'll see you
1: soon.